I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Back in 2016, I spent a few months in Australia with a good friend, zipping up and down the coast from one surf town to the next. I'd never surfed before, but before the trip, my friend promised that I'd pick it up quick, saying, quote, you're so athletic, it'll be a piece of cake. His flattery worked great to get me on the trip, but it didn't do much for me actually being able to surf once I got there. The first few days I splashed around, clinging to the board and desperately trying to paddle out to the waves as five-year-olds cruised by, occasionally asking me, all right, mate. I usually tired myself out pretty quick and ended up straddling the board, floating as the sun rose or set, watching everyone else surf. There are worse things, but after a few days, I wanted to actually get up on the board. So I went to the local surf shop looking for a lesson. The owner agreed to take me out, but before we got in the water, he plopped down on the beach and patted the ground next to him. Sit, he said. You've got to learn how the ocean works if you want to be able to surf in it. He began to point out how the waves broke and when, where surfers lined up in relation to those waves, the angles they took when they popped up, and how they shifted their weight once they did. But most importantly, he said, you need to realize that you can't fight the ocean. It's bigger than you, he smiled. Take yesterday. You looked like a stranded giraffe. Every time I looked out, it literally looked like someone had dropped a giraffe out of a plane and it was trying not to drown. Oh, you saw that, I asked. The whole beach saw it, he continued. Did you ever stop and wonder why all those children had no problem paddling a hundred yards out to the waves, but you, a grown man, couldn't make it 10 feet? I didn't say anything. This all seemed a bit harsh, honestly. Maybe this guy forgot I was paying him. Watch how everyone gets out to the place where the waves break, he said, and it quickly became obvious what he meant. There was a narrow strip where all the surfers basically queued up like ants in a straight line paddling out to the waves. That is a riptide, he said. It's like a moving walkway. It's a current that'll take you out into the middle of the ocean. It's terrifying if you don't know what it is, but once you do, you can just ride it out, then swim perpendicular to get out of that current, and then you surf. And if you don't use that current, it's going to be really tough, as you saw. I watched closer, and I saw surfers getting into the current, cruising out a couple hundred yards, and then getting off, like a moving walkway. The first lesson of surfing, he said, is learning how the ocean works. Then you can let it do all the work for you, but only if you understand it. Today, we're going to talk about how to let the world do the work for you. The key to life and to your business working is understanding how the world works and aligning yourself accordingly. Just because you think the world should work a certain way, and just because you might be right, doesn't mean it does. And recognizing this doesn't mean you can't do something ambitious, quite the opposite. The only way to do something ambitious is to leverage the force of the world to catapult you there, to understand what you can change and what you can't. I can't change the riptides, but I can use them if I know how they work. We're going to talk about three of my favorite, what I guess I'll call worldly forces today. Things entrepreneurs don't always take advantage of, but things they should. Riptides that'll accelerate you to where you need to go. Setting up your thinking this way will help you achieve way more in way less time. The examples today are fun. I'm biased, but I really like them. This was a fun pod to do. First, we're going to talk through the greatest marketing campaign I have ever seen. 
Second, we're going to talk about the most magical product I've ever used. And finally, we're going to figure out why pickleball is so damn popular. And hopefully these things all tie neatly together. That's kind of the point. And one more thing about this surf instructor before we hop into the jazz, because he was an absolute character. We decided to rent kayaks from him one day to go looking for whales and dolphins and things. We asked if it was safe to hop in and swim while we were out there. Oh, yeah, definitely, he said. Then, maybe 15 minutes later, as we were pushing our kayaks through the surf, he jogged down towards the beach and said, and pretend this is in an Australian accent, I'm not an accent guy. Oh, hey, I almost forgot. If you do swim, always make sure you're holding your kayak paddle while you do it, and keep that kayak paddle beneath you. There are loads of great whites out there, and they aren't going to do anything to you, probably, but they are curious, and they'll sort of bite whatever the lowest point is. So if you just keep your paddle there, they're going to bite the paddle and not your legs. Easy. Enjoy. We didn't end up swimming. And now, some smooth jazz. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and want to test out the former before you leave the latter, come and work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com. Over 400 startups have tested and built ideas through our program, and those businesses are now collectively worth over a billion dollars. Our program helps you prioritize and execute, and our members and me and the team keep you accountable and give you feedback along the way. Come build with us at gettacklebox.com. Back to it. Now it's time to talk about the greatest marketing campaign I have ever encountered. And it comes against the backdrop of maybe the hardest marketing setting there is, a conference. Even if you haven't started a startup, you've almost certainly been to an industry conference. Booths everywhere, people with iPads trying to get you to sign up, business cards that are slightly different shapes than normal business cards because like seven years ago, there was an article that said if your business card was a different shape, it'd quote, literally stand out from the stack. There's pizza and cupcakes and people in matching t-shirts and weird foam giveaways and wheels you can spin to win stuff and swell bottles and scratch off lottery tickets and usually people dressed up in funky costumes. It is an absolute gauntlet of people trying to get attention and make an impression with most, basically all, failing. And everyone, everyone spends weeks or months trying to figure this out. It's the major leagues of marketing. Those booths are expensive, and so is the time of the people tasked with making the booth memorable. So it's even more impressive that this is the setting for the greatest marketing campaign I have ever seen. And here it is. The booth I'm talking about had the company name on it, and then on the back wall, a giant cork board. At the top of the cork board, it said, quote, we can dramatically help these people. And then thumbtacked to the cork board were 20 envelopes. The envelopes each had a name on them. Each of the 20 people were at the conference. All throughout the day, streams of people walked up to the corkboard, looking to see if their name was there, like middle school kids looking to see if they'd been cast as the lead for the school play. When someone found their name, they'd excitedly pull down the envelope, proudly show everyone around them that they'd been picked, and strut away. By the end of the conference, there were no more envelopes tacked to the corkboard. This is today's first universal truth. The greatest motivator in the world. The riptide that'll take you just about anywhere you want to go. Why are the Harry Potter books so popular? Because he was chosen. And we imagine as we read, what if we've been chosen too? What's a giant tattoo on LeBron's back say that gets tons of press and has been imitated by players so often that it's now almost cliche to see it popping out from behind players' jerseys? Chosen one. Why do you get so excited at the doctor's office when you're in the waiting room and the nurse comes out and says your name, 
And then you sort of look at everyone else and saunter in like you just won the lotto. What are the three most powerful words in the English language? I choose you. There are lots of marketing gimmicks out there, lots of people splashing around in the waves, but there's one shortcut, knowing who your product is for, knowing where to find them, and then saying to them, I choose you. That is one of the world's most powerful forces. So do that. The second story is the second universal truth, the second force of the world that we can use, and it comes from my favorite product ever. My mom gave it to me on my 17th birthday, and I still remember it. It was called the Sony E-Marker, and it was a green football-shaped dongle that, from the minute I got it, never left my side until Sony stopped supporting it a year or so later. It was maybe two or three inches long, and I clipped it to my keychain. The Sony E-Marker was pure magic. Here is how it worked. When a song came on the radio that I liked but I didn't know the name of, I clicked the only button the E-Marker had, record. I'd do this throughout the day whenever I heard a song I liked, and then when I got home, I'd connect the E-Marker to our family computer, and it would spit out the names and artists of all the songs. Shazam, but like a decade before Shazam. Then I'd hop on Napster, click download on those songs, go eat dinner or go to basketball practice or something else, and an hour or two later, the songs would have downloaded. Next, I'd burn them onto a CD. And the next day at school, I had a CD with the newest songs on it, and I just cannot tell you how cool it felt to be the only kid at school who had Maria Maria by Carlos Santana on my yellow sports disc man. I'm putting that song in the show notes because if you haven't listened to it recently, or heaven forbid, don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you're not in a crowded space when you listen to it because you're going to dance your little butt off. I know this sounds absurd now, but this was the year 2002. We all listened to the radio all day, and lots of times you'd miss who sang the song or you'd forget it. You couldn't Google it because Google barely existed. You'd hear parts of a song for weeks on the radio before figuring out what that song actually was. My Sony e-marker was my secret weapon. Suddenly, I was the kid with the new music, which was a great kid to be. This brings us universal truth number two. It's actually very easy to build a magical product. Look at what people care about. Look at what they do now. Look at what they jump through hoops for. Then remove a step, preferably the biggest one. Before the e-marker, I went from hearing a song on the radio that I liked to frantically trying to figure it out, hoping to hear it again and have the DJ say who the artist was, often waiting weeks on end and then usually not being the first one to have it at my school, to hearing it once and having it in my Discman the next day. Pure magic. So let's think about how this applies to what you're building. If the goal for you is to build a magical product, and that's the only goal you should have because that's the only thing that'll grow, you need to work backwards. We need your product to remove steps in a process your customer already does and already cares a lot about. Without that, your product will be irrelevant. So start with a customer whose process you know extremely well. Make sure your product removes steps for them. Make sure it doesn't add any steps too. The beauty of the e-marker was it fit perfectly into my existing process. When I heard a song, I pressed the button, and I always had the e-marker on me because it was on my keychain. Sure, the e-marker was discontinued pretty fast once they realized people weren't buying the CDs from Sony after hearing them on the radio. They were actually just downloading them for free. But my point stands. That thing was magic. To make a dent, know your customer's most important process. Remove the hard steps. That is the force of a great product. Don't get distracted from it. 
The last story about world truth or world force or whatever it is I've been saying, I don't like any of this stuff. If anyone comes up with a better term for this, let me know, has to do with my current favorite sport, pickleball. I don't need to explain pickleball because I know you've already heard of pickleball. We've got podcast listeners in 140 countries, according to our analytics tool, which blows my mind. But what blows my mind more is that I bet all of you have heard of pickleball, but that wasn't always the case. According to Google Trends in 2015, just about nobody was searching for pickleball. The pickleball Wikipedia page had around 10,000 monthly views. Today, nearly everyone is searching for pickleball. In 2022, more people search for pickleball than search for Peloton or CrossFit. There are over 120,000 monthly views of the Wikipedia page. In 2005, there were 39 known courts in North America. In 2028, pickleball will be an Olympic sport. The question you should ask as an entrepreneur is, why? What the heck happened? And how does it relate to you as a startup person who will need to make something completely unknown known? I did a bunch of research into this. Almost definitely too much research, but kind of everything about pickleball is fun, so I just kept going. The origin story of pickleball is fantastic. In 1965, Joel Pritchard, a congressman from Washington State, and Bill Bell, a quote, successful businessman, went to Pritchard's vacation home on Bainbridge Island. I'm picturing it kind of like the house in Wedding Crashers, but I have no proof for that. Just kind of seems like the place guys named Pritchard and Bill Bell would hang out. Anyway, the property had an old badminton court, but no badminton equipment. So they improvised and started playing a game with ping pong paddles and a perforated plastic ball. They lowered the net when they realized the ball bounced well on asphalt. They played all weekend, keeping the rules simple and very close to badminton. The point of the game, they'd say, was to make something the whole family could play together, something so easy to pick up that nearly anyone could play it and not feel left out. The origin of the name Pickleball is fun and a source of argument. Most websites will say it's named after one of the founder's dogs, Pickles, because the dog kept stealing the ball, which I love. Great dog name, great game name. And it is not disputed that the founder had a dog named Pickles. But there's also a story that it was named for the creator's wife, which I believe less. Also, one of the creators went to his grave saying it was named after the dog. Either way, it's a great name. So how did it grow and why? There are a lot of reasons, but for our purposes, one anchors the rest. We'll go through the big ones. First, the game as stated by the creators is easy. It's a family game. It's simple to pick up, and the goal is to do something active and fun as a family. This is not as easy as it sounds. Over July 4th, the entire Scordato clan played pickleball. My mom and I were the champions, no big deal. It was the first time in maybe 20 years that we all played a sport together, and I can't think of another one we could have even possibly played together. People diverge in other sports and hobbies and activities so quickly that it's difficult to play anything together with that group of people. Niche habits and interests exacerbate this. But pickleball? It's easy to be good enough at. It's hard for someone to be so good that the game is ruined. It's an incredible and unlikely balance. Next, COVID obviously accelerated it. We wanted to be with people and we needed to be outside. And there's only so many times you could have brunch. Pickleball was perfect. Next, the name. Pickleball is easy to remember and it's ridiculously fun to say. I can't stop saying it. Don't sleep on that. It sticks in your head and you eventually need to learn more about it. And finally, the thing that pulls it all together, the thing that makes everything else above matter. Pickleball is physically built on existing infrastructure. Tennis courts turn naturally into four pickleball courts. Badminton courts do, too. 
And pickleball is mentally built on existing infrastructure. It is the simplest extension of every racket game you have ever played. You know the rules and you can explain the rules in under a minute. You could probably even guess them. Entrepreneurs love to reinvent things. A big part of this is that most entrepreneurs love to build products and building a product is a romantic thing. We want to build it from scratch. We want it to be totally ours. Unfortunately, that's unrealistic. If pickleball required a court larger than a tennis court or one with walls or had any other custom characteristics, we wouldn't be talking about it and you wouldn't have ever heard of it. Here is how this looks for you. I love Indian food. My wife and I eat it all the time. One of our favorite recipe sites that got us into cooking our own Indian food gave traditional recipes with simple, good enough replacements for what we likely had in our cabinet and fridge. Would the food have been better and more authentic if we'd gone to a special grocery store and gotten ingredients that pretty unimaginative people like ourselves don't tend to have? Sure, but it would have put up unnecessary blockers early on. Telling me how to use the spices I have to get pretty close to the taste they want is using existing infrastructure. I don't know exactly what portion of our B2B startups have failed because of this, but it is a number that is well over 20%, and here is what it often looks like. Hey customer, we've built you a dashboard that'll tell you X, Y, and Z. We know you use Excel for this now, but our dashboard is custom made and it'll give you 10x more value. Unfortunately, the reality is that they use Excel. They don't use you. Build using as much existing infrastructure as you possibly can. Add cognitive leaps only where absolutely essential. And this doesn't mean that you're going to be on existing infrastructure forever. Pickleball-only courts are popping up everywhere. I go to specific grocery stores now to get the right spices. But to start, recognize that your customer will have very little bandwidth for any sort of change, and they will not overcome most friction. Only make them change what is absolutely necessary or they'll float on by. One of my favorite quotes is from Joseph Tussman. says, what the pupil must learn is that the world will do most of the work for you, provided you cooperate with it by identifying how it really works and aligning with those realities. If we do not let the world teach us, it teaches us a lesson. Today, we talk through three universal world truths. The most impactful thing you can do is to choose someone. The way to create magic is to remove steps. And the way to get adoption is to build on existing infrastructure. Use each of these. Learn the other universal truths in your industry. Use the world. Don't fight against it. You'll just end up like a flailing giraffe trying to swim against the tide if you do. And for the love of God, if you get out of your kayak in Australia, keep the paddle below you. There are sharks down there. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got a startup idea and you want to test it out with us, head to gettacklebox.com and apply. We'll help you start, validate, and build. And if you like the pod, please rate us and leave a review. That's how people find us. It's super important. Have a great week.